We want to welcome all of you who are gathering online or watching or listening later in the week. Our in-person gathering is underway, and man, we are so thankful to be with everyone both in person and online with you. Uh, Here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Spencer is going to be reading scripture for us. Claude's going to be communicating from the Bible. And then we'll respond to the word by singing. And finally, Meredith will close out our gathering today. Can we bow our heads in a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for each new day. Your word makes clear that your mercies are new every single morning. And God, we sense that today. For those of us that aren't sensing that, that are going through just the drudgery of life in this season, Father, I pray for a new vision today, Lord God, that your word illuminated would inspire us to dream big dreams and to pursue God-shaped and God-sized goals, Lord. I ask, Father God, that your spirit would rest and reside with us. And God, I pray that whatever happens throughout the course of the next hour, the next day, the next week, it would be for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Eric. Hi, my name is Spencer, and I'll be reading the text for this morning. Feel free to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 27, or you can follow along in the YouVersion app or by simply looking up on the screens. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must, be, must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortens the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, 
do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Thanks so much, Spencer. Great job. You guys, uh, I know that it's unique to, uh, to be in a space that, um, that has other noises and stuff, and so I really appreciate his ability to concentrate. Um, hopefully, I can do as, <laughs> as well. He'll uh, be like, I hear a noise. You guys hear that? What was that? That's crazy. <laughs> um, the, uh, the cool thing is we have the opportunity to be together, which I'm excited for, obviously. Um, we're continuing in our series, uh, Connecting the Dots, and this morning's message is entitled Routine. So, Connecting the Dots, Routine. And um, as you just heard read, a majority of chapter 13 is what's going to be covered. So uh, he read 27 verses. Way to go, Spencer. Um, when I think about routine, I have uh, one memory in particular. Uh, I went to college um, near King of Prussia Mall down in uh, Pennsylvania. And so we had you know, friends that we roomed with. We lived in an apartment together. And so from time to time, we would go to the mall. We worked at the mall. We would eat at the mall, stuff like that. And from time to time, we would need a ride to the mall from different people in the apartment that had vehicles, stuff like that. And so I remember one time in particular, uh, one of my friends that had a car, uh, my other friend said, hey, can, can you give us a ride to the mall? And he's like, uh, yeah, sure, I can give you a ride. The only thing is I have to be back by a certain time because it was Saturday. And at a specific time, every Saturday, uh, he would call his brother. It was actually kind of cool. He was just, they were super close. And so um, he would call his brother up and uh, they would chat a while and stuff. And so he said, I just need to make sure I get back in time for that call because I went to college during a time, pay attention, children, during a time our phones weren't in our pockets. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. We rode places on horseback and, uh, no, but we had to be near a phone if we wanted to have a conversation with somebody on a phone. So he said, I just need to be back. They're like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And, uh, by the way, it was awesome that when I said, pay attention children, some of them were like, well, I was, I was just, I was just writing something. Uh, anyway, the, uh, we, they left, and uh, I was actually at the uh, apartment I had to work later on, and so in the evening, uh, I came back, and they were coming back. I was like, so, how did, how'd it go? How'd everything go today? And they're like, well, uh, we got threatened. Uh, he started freaking out because we were there so long, and we were going to miss the precious call with his brother, and so he literally physically threatened us with death. He grabbed one of us and actually shoved him so hard that he fell into <laughs> the... Uh, the, I want to say pond, but it's not. Fountain, there you go, thank you. The fountain in the mall. So he actually fell partway into the fountain, like, dude, he's like, I told you I needed to get back. You guys are jerks. I hate you all. And he's like screaming at them, threatening their lives. And they're like, dude, your brother is an adult. He's going to understand if you miss a phone call one time. He's like, every Saturday, every Saturday I call him. So it was a great story. We laugh about it now, but obviously my friends were pretty uh, put off and bothered by the fact that their lives had been threatened because my friend had missed his phone call to his brother. So the question I want to ask as we jump into the text today is this, how do you handle a disruption in your routine? 
How do you handle a disruption in your routine? It's funny, as I ask that question, I can see some responses across the room. Like some of you are like, whatever, it's just a question. You know, others of you are like, oh Lord, a disruption in my routine? What in the world are you thinking about? There are definitely extremes answers to this question for sure. We're all wired differently, as we all know. I'm sure you guys are aware of that. There are some of us that simply cannot function outside of a routine. In fact, you know, the more planned and known their day is, the more they can relax, the more they can even thrive. The world makes sense if it's in some way in a routine or planned. To these people, a disruption in their routine, well, it's personal. It's problematic if you mess with the routine. The idea that things are now different than they expected is an assault on their plan. It's an assault on their time. My goodness, it is an assault on their life. And you know what I'm talking about if you are in proximity to one of the people that function that way. Now, on the other extreme, there are some of us that desire the disruption. They kind of crave the excitement that accompanies the unknown. To these people, the routine is restrictive. It's an assault on their freedom as humans. If you're uh, near one of those two extremes, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And in fact, if you're really far to that extreme, you think the other extreme is an insane person, right? <laughs> you're like, what? How don't you have a routine? And the people, with routine, people without routines are like, you are so rigid. What is wrong with you? Live a little. We have extremes and we have everyone in between. Now, most of us, I would say that most of us have some form of routine in our lives. Some form of routine in our lives. And I know that there are some of you that would be like, no, I have no routine. One of the things I love about my life is the absence of all routine. In fact, these people, these people that want freedom so much, they actually demand the routine of their freedom. <laughs> Somebody like, no, 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 that's not what I mean. Yes, you wake up every day with the expectation, the routine of having your freedom. I want to submit to you that as humans, we are all creatures of habit. We are creatures of some form of routine. Now, before you freedom fighters object too hard, here's an example. I remember uh, one of my, my actual first job that I had, I, went, I showed up in the break room and one of my coworkers was flipping out because he was offended by the fact that people were drinking the coffee in the break room. They're like, that coffee is disgusting, it's burnt, I will not drink coffee. We should have the freedom to choose where we get our coffee. That's why I love that this job where I worked was attached to a mall and he's like, I'm so glad that I could just go anywhere in the mall and just switch it up, you know, get coffee wherever I want. It's so ridiculous that we have to slurp down this mess, this sludge. And uh, one of my other coworkers who thought they completely understood the situation, said, yeah, I hear you, man. Or, I mean, even if you, you, you should have the freedom to even decide whether or not you want your morning coffee. I mean, am I right? The guy turned around and looked at him like, oh, no, I'm having coffee every morning. It's just, I want the freedom to decide where, right? So even people with the desire for freedom, they have still a routine that is necessary. In other words, I'm still having morning coffee. I just like switching it up as to where I get it. There are certain things in your life that are routine, that are non-negotiable. I want freedom attached to my routine. Now, obviously, 
There are several examples. Maybe you're not a coffee drinker. You name the example in your life. But the truth is we all have some, some form, something that we have an expectation for. We have a routine, if you will. How will you handle? How would you handle a disruption in your routine? If you're saying that you're a freedom-based person and you drink coffee, how would you handle not having coffee in a day? How would you injure those you love most? (laughs) But the fact is, we all have a problem. We could go through the examples, and obviously we don't have the time, but we would eventually get to a place in which you function on some form of routine that if that was up earth, you would be thrown off. Today's text is about how humanity deals with disruptions in their routine however rigid or flexible they may be. If we pick up at verses one through two, it says this in chapter 13. It says, as he, meaning Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. I'm going to destroy, or it will be destroyed, what it is that you know. Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple that actually happened in AD 70. In fact, he's addressing the reality that their religious routines will soon no longer be necessary at a macro level. Based on where Jesus kind of goes in the verses that follow that we heard read a moment ago, We're able to realize that the destruction of the temple and even the destruction of Jerusalem are actually foreshadowing the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus. Now, Jesus' return, his second coming, is a topic that unsettles people. It unsettles people, Christian or not. And I realize that we have all different people in the room and we have all different people listening and watching either with us or later on. And whether you're a Christ follower or not, the fact is the apocalypse, the end of the earth, it's unsettling. Now, you might say, well, I'm intrigued by it. Whether you're intrigued or fearful about the topic, the end of the earth, the fact that it is happening, we're unsettled in some way by that. In other words, we all have thoughts, we all have opinions about what that will look like, how it will come about. And now I could spend all of our time. I could spend all of our time talking about what commentators and scholars say about the second coming of Jesus, but the truth is all that ultimately matters is that it's happening. That it's happening. The text, the the point of the text and why Jesus brings it up is, is about the explanation of the fact that this will take place. The how and the when, it doesn't matter. And I know some of you are like, what? Just bear with me if you're bothered by that statement. (laughs) It doesn't matter, and I'll explain why. I was a freshman in college, and yet another moment where we had an an encounter with a phone. However, this phone, it was attached to a wall. It was called a pay phone. You had to put money in. And I remember being (laughs) having rolls of quarters because it was like, da-ding, 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 like, I'm sorry, you need 37 more dollars to make that call. I'm like, what? No. So it was a payphone, and it was on our floor of our, um, of our dorm. As a freshman, I lived on a, on a floor. And so on this floor, in the middle of the floor, there was a, um, a phone. And in this payphone, um, 
there was this call and one of my friends kind of fielded this call and uh, the kid's name was Patrick. And I remember we were out in the hallway hanging out and one of the other guys that lived on the floor said, oh, hey, Patrick, uh, your parents called. And he said, uh, oh, okay, do they want me to call them back? And he's like, oh, no, they just said that uh, to let you know that they're coming, they're on their way. He's like, what? And they're like, yeah, your, your parents are on their way. And he just grabbed his stuff and just ran. He just ran to his room. He was panicked. He was frightened. Now, that was the last time we saw Patrick. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The rumor was that he had gotten five to six different credit cards in his freshman year of college and decided to use them and thought that there would be no consequence to that. There were several conversations, I guess, with his parents. And in the end, uh, what I believe was that there was a very uh, loud exchange in the parking lot and Patrick was packed up and left in the middle of the night. I cannot uh, confirm nor deny that, but I can simply say uh, Patrick ran when Patrick found out his parents were coming and then Patrick was never seen again. (laughs) Now, here's the deal. When he jumped up and he ran away, he didn't ask wait, when are they coming? He didn't say, wait, are they coming by car? Are they walking? Are they running? Are they coming by plane? Is it by sea? He didn't ask for details as to how their parents, how his parents were coming. He was struck by the reality that his parents were on their way. And so he ran. He ran because he needed to do everything possible to prepare for his parents coming. See what I mean? Do you see what I mean? If you make the correlation, it's more about the fact that Jesus is coming than it is about the details of the how and the when. What matters is Jesus is coming back. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Now, in some ways, that was used almost abusive towards me as I was growing up in the church. It was like a way to try to get me to behave. You know, Jesus is coming. You better not sin. He's going to come while you're sinning and you'll burn in hell. I'm like, ah. It's like, so literally don't do anything. Look under rocks. Look around the corner. If the sky ever looks a little off, it's probably because he's coming. You're like, oh. Have you ever had a beautiful sunset, you know, and everybody's like looking and they're taking pictures and everything. Like, oh, look, it's red. I'm like, it is red. As a kid, I did not enjoy sunsets. I was like, red, like blood. Like blood, like Jesus is coming tonight. Oh my gosh. They would find me often just holding a King James Bible, rocking back and forth with tears running down my face. Is he here? Is he here now? I got left behind, didn't I? Panic moments running through my house because my parents didn't answer me instantly. Like, where are they? I'm left behind. I'm running around. I see Jenny, my younger sister. I'm like, no, she would be left behind for sure. The search continues, you know, you're like running around trying to find somebody that certainly would be gone. <laughs> I love you, Jenny. Anyway, the fact is we need to be ready and there's an essence of that, not for the purpose of fear that motivates us into some behavior modification, but for it to settle into our hearts and minds that there's a reality that Jesus is returning for us. And are we prepared for that? Let's connect the dots. Because the reality is, this is disruptive to our routines. Jesus' return is disruptive to our routines. It's disruptive to our priorities. It's disruptive to our relationships. It's disruptive to the decisions that we make with our finances, with where we go, with what we engage in, with how we speak, with what we think. The fact that Jesus is returning for his church, it's disruptive 
and off-putting to our routine. So how do you handle a disruption to your routine? You see, this is what Jesus is saying. This is what he's talking about. He's not giving clues to figure out how his return will be or when it will come. And actually, we'll even talk next week about how Jesus makes crystal clear that no one will know when. No one will know when. He says it. And yet people are like, but I think I know. (laughs) But we should really know, right? No, he's coming is the point. So live ready. Live ready. Control that which you can control. You can control your readiness. You can't control the dynamic reality that, of eternity that's happening around you. You can't control the apocalypse, the end of the earth, but you can control the choices that you make, the decisions that you make, the way you live your life. That's what matters. And that's what Jesus is talking about. In verse 26, he says this, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Makes it clear. Growing up, I used to think this verse said through the clouds, that basically Jesus' return would would be in the sky. And, And maybe it will be, but maybe it had to do with the translation I had. The fact is this, it doesn't say through the clouds. The Greek, it says coming in, as this translation says, the Greek actually says coming in, the clouds, in clouds with great power and glory, in and with. Why does that matter? How is that different? Get this, Jesus is bringing clouds with glory and power, but what does that mean? What does that mean? How do we understand that? If there's nothing that we can do necessarily about it, how do we understand it? And what is the difference? How does it impact us? Well, we have to look back at the Old Testament to fully understand what Jesus is saying here and what the implications are. In Genesis, I'm gonna give a quick overview. In Genesis, in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve enjoyed the presence of God is what it talks about. It talks about the presence of God being with mankind. There was peace, there was life, there was beauty. And then sin fractured that. It fractured humanity, it fractured creation as a whole, and it put distance between humans and God. Adam and Eve, in fact, had to leave the Garden of Eden. They had to leave God's presence. Why? Because of sin. Sin separates us from God. There was... And there is as a result of sin. And without the presence of God, disease, sorrow, and death. Now, admittedly, like I said, I'm oversimplifying, but you get my point for the purpose of where we're headed today. In scripture, if we continue to look from Genesis, we don't see the presence of God interfacing with humanity as a whole again until Exodus. The Israelites are being set free, a foreshadowing of Christ's coming. But as they're being set free, they're being led by the presence of God. The presence of God, according to Exodus, is leading them by a cloud in the day and at night, what's translated in Hebrew as fiery glory, leads them, the presence of God. You see, in Hebrew, God's presence is called Shekinah. That might sound familiar to you, the idea of Shekinah glory. Shekinah means, listen, It literally means this. The Hebrew word means cloud of glory. Don't miss it. Jesus isn't describing how he will return, 
but rather who he will bring with him. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he lost the presence of God. He lost access to the presence of God. He took on the sin of humanity. And in that moment, he actually says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because God retracts his presence from Jesus. You see, Jesus was without access to God the Father so that we could have access to God the Father. He restored the, the sin that separates us from God because of his death that we deserve, the penalty that he took upon himself for, for our sins, for our decisions. Now we, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, can have access to God the Father through him. We can have access to God's presence. But what Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 13 is this. He's saying, it's no longer about having access through me. I will be bringing the glory cloud. When I return, the very presence of God will return to earth. He will make all things new. God's presence will make all things right. There will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more death, no more sadness. I love the way uh, one of the authors, Sally Lloyd-Jones, writes in Jesus' Storybook Bible. She says it like this. It's simplistic for children and yet profound for adults. She says, he will make everything sad come untrue. It's amazing. It's an amazing picture of God's presence on the earth. Listen, Jesus says, as he describes in the verses between, life is and will be hard. He makes it crystal clear in this passage. And those that desire God's presence will yearn for Jesus' return while remaining on mission, while remaining ready. So what does it look like to yearn for the disruptive into the routine, the disruptive presence of Jesus into the routine rhythms of our life while allowing us to remain on mission for that which is eternal. Are you catching that? It means love what God loves, hate what God hates, have your heart broken for that which breaks God's heart and be transformed by the truth of the gospel. If you're seeking God's presence, if you're, if you're running after God's presence, then his will playing out in your life is not a disruption from the routine, but rather his will is the thing you've actually been living for. It's the thing you want. Isn't that funny? We live our lives just, just functioning according to the routine. We want to believe that we're so sovereign, that we are the gods of our own lives, that we lead our own lives, and yet we are just head down into the routine. All of the things that we do in this life is a result of the life around us declaring it to us and us falling in line with the expectation. We function according to the rules and routines of this world. And when there is a disruption, we pitch a fit instead of realizing that maybe God's will is playing out in some divine way that we don't understand because he's big and we're small because he sees the whole picture from the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. And yet here we are saying, no, I'm pretty sure I get how this should go. My routine says this, how dare you interfere with my routine, God? This is my life. His will playing out in your life is not a disruption from the routine, but rather 
His will is the thing you're giving your life for. Oh Lord, we want to be actively spirit-led. Man, I, I want us to pray as, as people of Centerway that we would pray, God, would you disrupt our routines? Would you mess up my routine? Would you redirect me? And would I look at every opportunity of disruption that maybe it's a divine appointment that has guided me to this crossroad? And instead of being upset about the moment that has gone wrong, that maybe God has intervened so that we could live on mission in that moment different than we expected. You see, it's a perspective shift. It's about connecting the dots, not the way we want, but connecting the dots the way that God has laid them out. Are you living your life in the pursuit of comfort? Are you living it pursuit of God? Are you lulled to sleep? Or stressed by the worries and the cares of this world. Just kept up looking and worrying and striving and, and wanting to, to be about all the things that are temporal. Or are you yearning for his return while living on mission? Saying, God, I just want your presence. I want you to come and invade this world. I want, I want you to help me be slow to anger and quick to love. God, would you transform my heart by the truth of the gospel? Would I extend grace because of the grace given to me? Would I give mercy because you are merciful towards me? Would you be transformed by the gospel because that is eternal and everything this world is living for is temporal? Do you hold loosely to the things of this world and proclaim the gospel with word and action? You see, connecting the dots, God's disruption of your routine may actually be the thing you really wanted all along. So my friend is getting out of the fountain at King of Prussia Mall. He's half wet and everybody's laughing at him. And finally, they look at their friend and they say, you are such a jerk, man. And he's like, you guys are the jerks. You've completely taken advantage of me. You've taken advantage of my car, my time, and now I missed a call with my brother. And they're like, listen, dirtbag, we brought you here because your brother's waiting in a restaurant for you. And he's like, what? Like, yeah, it was part of the plan. He told us to make sure you'd miss the call so that way you wouldn't call and wonder if something happened or get worried. Our goal, our plan was to get you here. We're working with your brother, jerk. And so they walked into the restaurant and the surprise was ruined. And of course, immediately he was like, oh, thanks guys, you guys love me. This is awesome. This was the best surprise. You see, in moments of disruption, we're blinded by our desire, by our will, by our comfort, by the way we want this to work out. And so we pitch a fit, we push those we love, we get angry, we say things we regret because in the moment, my goodness, this is interfering with my life. And yet, maybe it's a divine appointment. Maybe what you're praying for, what you say you want, the joy you're searching for, the love all the peace, the things you want, maybe it's found in the disruption. Maybe the disruption is part of the plan. We say every week that the text requires something of us. 
And of course, this week is no different. And so the question I want you to ask yourself is this, how will I proclaim the gospel this week? How will I proclaim the gospel this week? Because it's about the mission. It's about that which is eternal. The disruption of our routine, that we would embrace it and say, okay, maybe this is an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And I'll tell you right now, there have been moments and seasons in my life where I have had tears streaming down my face, fists clenched and saying, okay, okay, God, maybe you get something that I don't. So I'll lean into the pain and I'm going to trust you. I don't see how this plays out in some grander way, but your will, not mine. That's what Jesus did in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. He said, not my will, but yours. And he went to a cross and he died the death that you and I deserved. The biggest injustice in all of time. And so will you proclaim the gospel this week? For some of us in this room or listening, watching, the disruption and the way to proclaim the gospel is to proclaim it to yourself. You're not in relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you have been in in word, but you haven't really surrendered the throne room of your life to Jesus. And so today it's as simple as, as praying a prayer in the quietness of wherever you find yourself, either in this room or wherever else you may be, to pray a simple prayer that declares Jesus, the Lord of your life. And it doesn't have to be this way, but something that acknowledges the sin of your life and asks him to forgive you of your sin to come and be the Lord and leader of your life. In fact, if you prayed that prayer or if you're praying that prayer and you're in the room, we'd love to have a conversation with you following today's gathering. If you're watching or listening live, I wanna encourage you to click on a link, go uh, have a private conversation with one of our hosts You can reach out by email or through our website. We would love to walk alongside you in the decision that you've made to proclaim the gospel to yourself today. For others of us that have already crossed that line of faith, what does it look like to proclaim the gospel this week? Maybe it means an invitation to a watch party in your home for times that we're online. Maybe it means an invite to to July 18th, the next time we're in person. Maybe it means a spiritual conversation that you've been delaying and putting off. Maybe it means uprooting the idols that you've accidentally, that you have accidentally established in your family. We can accidentally establish idols and then cause our family to to worship them over God. What does it look like to proclaim the gospel and say, no, this is a lesser thing. God is here and this is small. This is passing, it's fading, it's temporal, but there is that which is eternal and we are gonna live for that. We'll lean into that. What does it look like to proclaim the gospel to your friends and family through your word or through your action? I'm not here to to play out every scenario, but I am here to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you that which only he can do. And so we would just open our hearts and our minds and say, Lord, would you show me, would you show me the areas that I need to put some attention to? Let's pray together, friends. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we declare ourselves available. We declare ourselves available for the disruption. God, would you mess with our routine? We say so often, Lord, that we want your will, but we don't often want the the disruptions that come with it. And so today we set our hearts and minds and the reality that we're yearning for your return, that, the, that, that your return is all that matters, that we wait with anticipation. We wanna live 
according to who you are and that which you've done. And so, Father, would you put your finger in the areas of our lives that need your attention? We surrender it to you today. We worship you because of who you are and because of what you've done. We want your presence. We want your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship him together. Would you stand to your feet? Just want to quickly say, we're, the song we're going to start with is King of My Heart. And I just love the first line, that the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. And I didn't know all the details of what Claude was going to speak about today, but as I was praying this morning, I had a sense that the presence of God was going to be the game changer today. That there was going to be a sense of relief, a sense of healing, a sense of comfort, a sense of calm. And so would you join us as we sing? These are songs that are picked to go along with the message. We always say at Centerway there's lots of ways to worship, and singing is just one of them. But right now we're going to do that together. So would you sing these songs with us? Just love the presence of God. Kind of invade your space. Disrupt your life this morning.
not hesitant, yes, but either way, you've got it, God. And would you change us to be like you? Would you cause us to yearn for the coming of your glory that will set everything right? Thank you that your goodness strengthens us and gives us confidence and helps us when the mission is hard and when the mission is weary to keep our eyes on you. So you help us do that this week, Jesus. See you online next week, and we can't wait to July to be in this room again. Have a great day.